All right, so I've got Rush with me here, joining me for the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's hard to get players, man. You guys are way too busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no problem. Right now, we got like a little bit of a break. Not necessarily from playing CS, but from traveling. So that's good for us. So I, I think we can start there, actually. Obviously, everybody responds differently to the schedule. I think that a lot of players who get involved with pro gaming, or, or at least let's say you know, players who are thinking about pro gaming, they're probably not thinking about the lifestyle requirements because it's all very well and good being in your bedroom but when you start traveling a lot you know you have to adjust and and it's very different and uh, it's going to be frustrating at times so how did how was the adjustment to you did you adjust really well or was it difficult i mean at first it's always like super nice because you get to travel the world for free and it's like kind of like a dream come true but when you start getting to the higher levels like i mean this is when i first started so i didn't travel like all the time it's maybe like a couple times a year i go to europe which is amazing but nowadays it's like much more common and you can't really hold down a lot of like close relationships. I mean, you can, but it's like long distance basically at that point, whether it be with a friend or a girlfriend. So I think that's tough. Um, also, you don't see your family as much because typically when you move to a team, you also move like to wherever their team's located at. Like for me, it's Cloud9 lives in LA. I'm actually from Wisconsin. So I've been in LA for over a year now and I have seen my family once since then. And I'm also going on vacation with them during the winter player break. So that's nice. But it's just like if you are young, it can be endearing to leave your family um, at a young age. You know, you don't expect it. But I enjoy it personally. It sucks not to see my family, but I, I like living in L.A. It's really nice here. So, Yeah, I've, I've uh, actually just moved myself. So, <laughs> so yeah, I could definitely uh, feel you there coming from London. Um, but that is an interesting um, thing, actually, because I think, again, this is not talked about too too much but it surely must affect performance um, in a variety of different ways you know it's some people do need that family time or, or having more time for friends and you know when you're stuck sort of playing and sort of grinding a video game if you're hitting hard times maybe when you're when you're playing professionally surely it's it's you know i mean what i'm getting at is you're going to play your best counter-strike when you're feeling very happy and when you're not feeling sort of depressed in any sense so from from the basis of you know, managing your own sort of happiness um has there has there ever been any sort of problems there for you because it's got to translate to performance right i think the only time i'm not happy is when we're not playing well like i've always been happy pretty much like because i'm like i said this is pretty much a dream job for me so i think that it's important besides the game aspect is to have a, a balance in life like right now in general like i have a, a decent balance but i could say I, I could be getting out more like on my free time sorry i spend a lot of time um playing other games and i like playing games but that, that can be unhealthy um so it's good to like get out go to the gym go on a hike go out with friends go out with your teammates like just getting to this like if you're in a team house which i'm not right now i'm in my own apartment but if you're in a team house um just being a team house all day or on gamers all day just gaming it can become a little like unhealthy whether you're playing well or not and that can affect your performance i think so i think uh, having a balance is wh whether you're a casual or a professional is very important but in terms of like being away from home hasn't affected me at all like i, I like i said i enjoy um the move i enjoy living in la so i think that the only thing that can get to me the most is like performance wise so like clearly i've probably been a little unhappy lately because we haven't been playing our best CS, the last since Summit, really, since Katowice, around that time, which was like in March. And it's due to many factors, um, this roster instability. Um, I'm going off on a tangent, but play, um, roster instability and like uh, just in general, like people aren't happy. So 
that can affect your performance. Yeah, I, I really feel like it's there's so many there's so many uh, sort of obstacles um, to maybe even playing your best CS um, in that sense. So it's interesting to hear your your take on it um, do, from the perspective of because I think that when you're looking from the standpoint of let's say a lot of the fans they may just look at things from a work ethic standpoint when it comes to performance and so on but obviously as you as you're alluding to it's it can be a lot more than that and you can be in a spot where as you mentioned you know you might not strike the best balance and you can't just spend you know 12 hours a day death matching so so how how is the approach um for you personally um to help develop your own game but also the amount of time you spend with your team and how do you balance how, how do you make sure that that's balanced and you're not overdoing it i mean obviously like most pros like around i'd say like if they've been playing for four plus years they're not necessarily at their peak but there also is not much more they can learn if they're at the top five top ten if they've been there if they won tournaments it's at that level there's very little you can do to improve your game besides keeping it honed like making sure you're in the meta up to date, like watching your demos, watching your games, knowing what the other team has, how they're playing. But your individual skill, I feel like for me, like I can't, like a little bit of DM, a little bit of retake, and maybe FPL, which I don't play that often anymore, honestly, because it's kind of like deteriorated a bit in NA. I mean, they're, granted, they're trying to fix it now. But for me, just like playing my best requires me to just be in a good mindset and just make sure I don't deteriorate. Because I think that I, I, I've always been improving and I'm still improving to this date. But I think what makes me not play the best is when like I'm in a bad mindset, like when we have no fifth, when we're playing bad poor CS, things like this will make me and I'm sure every player play worse. But I think that in general, like grinding out to hours, like 12 hour sessions, 10 hour sessions, it's not going to do much besides make me worse. I think, I think if I play a lot of Counter-Strike. I actually play worse than I do when I play like a normal amount of Counter-Strike that I should be playing. I think the only time you should really grind the fuck out of CS is if you're a guy who's up and coming, who's uh, joining like the, the amateur teams, like you're making a name for yourself. I grinded the fuck out of the game when I was back then. Like I was playing like like I said, ten hours a day, playing 150 pugs a month. You have to do that to get good, in my opinion. Like the way to get good is to simply play the game a lot. And like I said before, it goes back to having balance in your life. Like whatever you'd have, if it's school, work, like you have to balance all of it. But you're not gonna become the best you can be without playing a lot of CS. Yeah, I think that's that's a you know, it's it's definitely no way around that. I think I, I do like to talk about all the ways you can either supplement your training and and ways that you can you can improve quickly. But I, as you say, there is no there's definitely no shortcut, and and uh, it is interesting um, to see sort of what the the obstacle like the, the newer obstacles when you do reach your level of play because as you were you know, sort of alluding to, you know, have this, this mentality aspect, the mindset, the sort of psychology of, of, of being a professional and dealing with pressure and, and how do you reach consistency as opposed to how do you, you know, get 10% better? It's how can I be consistently, you know, 10% closer to my peak? Um, and so I feel like consistency is, is one of those very personal questions. It's a bit different for everybody, the struggles that people have with it. So uh, how has how has consistency been for you? Is it is it an issue, or how, how do you think about it? I mean, from the outside looking in, it can definitely seem like an issue. But I feel like I've only had maybe one or two mo like moments where I felt like I was actually like not in my my peak form. I feel like I've always been like in a good form individually. I think for me especially, I really struggle on a team that's not like 
fundamentally sound or not not fundamentally sound. What's the word I want to go for? Like a team that's not like set in stone. Like things aren't the roles are set. The we have a set roster. Like things like this need to be set for me to play at my best. And if they're not set, like say we don't have an IGL, we're playing with stand-in, we're playing with someone that's not doing the role right. Something like these things will actually, I think, make me play uh, tremendously worse because I'm really when I when things are set in stone, like a, a, a caller knows all our shouts. So we have like a strat book. We have we've had our five for months. That's when I play my best. And you can look, go look at my stats. I, I don't really care about stats, but look at my stats. I play my best when we had stable rosters. Like, and when I play my worst when we have unstable rosters. Like. I look at Optic, and when we had we lost Stanislaw and we got like a new fifth for like seven months, like kind of like we have now. I play bad. You look at the Cloud Nine situation. I played really good consistently before we lost my uh, we lost Tarek and Stu. Like, but ever since we lost them, I've been playing terrible. Some players they don't really get affected by it. Like they can play their best. Like I think um, Tim Automatics, one of those guys. Like he will always play well because he's a great player. But for me personally, I need structure. I need a set team and like. I played decent at this last event in Blast because Keo actually filled the role pretty well. He, um, I felt comfortable with him, so like I didn't feel comfortable with like the previous fifths we've had. So, it's uh, it's a really good point, and actually, uh, a lot of the stuff you're talking about there is is definitely where I, I'm I'm going to be hitting all those points. Um, so, so firstly, you know, before you joined Optic, uh, you know, as we begin to talk about like when you started to play, like you know, incredibly well. Um, you know, you're on Conquest, but then you, you moved over to Optic and things started to really click. And I think that Optic was a crazy success story. In a very short amount of time, Optic Gaming was, you know, winning titles. And a lot of the, like, like every single player on the team was playing way above the expectation from sort of the, the name value that, that, you know, you guys all had at the time. Yeah, so what the, the success behind Optic, oh, what do you good. think yeah. that was all about? Yeah. Um, I think it came down to getting Tarek, honestly. Like, no offense to Daps, um, we cut him. He's a great guy and I'm really close friends still. Um, but I think that it's kind of like reminds me of the click that happened when me and Tarek joined um, Cloud9. You feel something like an instant click. Things are meshing well from the start. Like it's not necessarily a honeymoon period because you're gonna struggle at the start, but you feel like everything's right. Like the roles are really good, and that's how it was in Optic. Like. Tarek and me became these really aggressive entry figures that like fit, fit, the, fit the role perfectly. We had mixed role opping, we had NAF lurking and being like a hybrid and you have stand, stand calling and being support as well. And all these roles are just like perfect. And at the same time, like when we won, we had this run where we won like two tournaments and had a couple of uh, like top two, top four placings at the end of the winter in 2016, we just like were all peaking as well as individuals. Like everyone was at the top of their game. Like I was in the best form of my life. Um, I think I've had better forms actually in Cloud9, but back then it's like when I first started to hit my, my stride. And at the same time, all four of the other players were also hitting their strides. And we just were not scared of anyone. Like sometimes NA teams will, they have good players and they have good results um, online and even on land versus other NA teams. But when they go to Europe, they tend to like change the playstyle. But I think something about Peter or Stanislaw is when he called versus European teams, he called fearless and he called very, um, what's the word, like unpredictable. Like these teams didn't, probably would never expect us to do what we did. And I think that's why we played so well in those like three or four months span. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting period because these days, you know, we have a lot of North American teams that I think just due to the trickle down effect of having 
the benefit of having MIBR in the in the scene for so long, or, or those that core to learn from, and and the Cloud9 core to learn from, and you know Team Liquid. You know, there's all these good examples now of of, and there's a lot more in-game leaders. You know, everything's really caught up in North America. But back then, when you guys were successful, it was a bit unheard of to have a group of sort of I, I would say lesser-known players at the time hitting that level and winning lands um, in that way. So, and, and as you say, it was very unpredictable calling from Stan, but. When I, I remember when I was casting the games and was watching Optic, I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, this this team is playing like really good like Counter-Strike. They're playing like really solid defaults and just branching out of the defaults, like in, as you say, like unpredictable ways. This is like really high level stuff that I'm just not used to seeing in North America. And so uh, that was when Stanislaw definitely um, hit everyone's radar and, it was, and everyone was very impressed with what he could do as a leader. Um, and, you know, so, so what, what was it like playing with him for the first time and sort of like integrating into, into you know, how he uh, wanted the game to be played? And, and, and also, was his, is his influence overblown or was it as, as much as you think people um, talk about? Well, Daps was the IGL for Optic from when we, even from the Conquest days when we and Stan, uh, me, Stan, Nat, Shaz, Daps. I think I got everyone. Yeah, we were all on Conquest together, and Daps was calling on that team. Then we uh, got signed by Optic, and he called all the way up into the point where he got cut for um, Tarek, essentially. So Sam wasn't calling at all, but he would give um, suggestions, you know? He would always have give, give good suggestions, suggestions, but we didn't really see his calling until um, it was with Tarek. And back then, initially, it was kind of like, his calling wasn't the best, but I could tell he had a knack for it. It was a very unique style. Like when I say like he's unpredictable, I mean that we had we were a very defaulty team, like you said, but he had the perfect mix of that and doing something completely fucking random, like four rush this spot, like or like go through this smoke like randomly, like and that would really like catch people off guard because we're defaulting for like five rounds, three rounds, like and then they expect that and then we just do something completely out of the ordinary. But that's also a thing that once you know a team plays like that, you're gonna you're not gonna catch them off guard because they're gonna be ready for it. So I think over time people got got a, an understanding of how Stan calls. Um, that's why like maybe he didn't he didn't fall off at all. But maybe that's why um, he didn't last on Liquid. I don't know if Liquid was a fan of his calling or not. I can't say. It it seemed like there was a, a clash definitely of of ideas on Liquid, but but uh, obviously. Um, Moving towards the end of the the optic storyline, um, it ended up being the case that um, you know Stan left, and and you know Mixwell was obviously you know very sad, and I mean I, I imagine all of you, but I think Mixwell was was very vocal about how disappointed he was, considering uh, you know of how how good of a thing you guys had going. It felt like you know you hit such a stride, and you didn't really get to enjoy it and enjoy that success for maybe as long as as some teams may may enjoy it for. Yeah, it's I mean I this video of me like saying like it's really dumb they left like i mean the way he left was thinking about it now it's still so stupid like because he didn't tell anyone he never gave us a heads up it was more so like we were getting on for practice i'm sure you heard the story maybe but like um me and mixhell were driving back to the team house and we had practice in like 30 minutes and like stan wasn't posting the chat at all about anything we're, like it wasn't we didn't think anything of it and then we got on for practice and like 30 minutes after we waited for him to come on for practice he messages us or someone, maybe Hex or owner of messages saying Stan left the team. And we're just like, uh, okay. Like, it was it was pretty out of nowhere. That's why I was maybe a little salty at the start. But I think it took me a very little time to forgive him because I'm not a person who holds grudges. Um, but you never know, like, what could have happened. You never know how many more tournaments we could have done well at. Like, I think the last tournament we played, 
at the was the major together and we bombed out one and three or after like a early win i think but we did bad because mixwell got stuck in europe for a visa issue we couldn't practice with them for like two weeks so we all had low hours we didn't get any practice in i think that that's not a good gauge of the team we could have been but in hindsight, like maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Maybe I had to sift this shit and like deal with all the roster issues only to get picked up by Cloud Nine. Um, maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe we would have done a lot like decent, and I wouldn't have left for Cloud Nine if we had standstill. So I think that I mean I would have never won the major if I never joined Cloud Nine, right? So like all these things, like everything happens for a reason. So I think that maybe um, that's why uh, like he left and I got joined Cloud Nine eventually, and we did well. So it's all like butterfly effect you know things can affect other things in very strange ways so yeah you, you know you're talking about the um <laughs> joining cloud nine and all that success and that, that always seems like a, a very similar story in some respects to, to optic just insofar as you know you, you guys um you're, you're it's having so similar it's like it's like a alternate timeline it's like exact same it's so weird so so initially let's let's talk about you know how you know because as you said you know you get into optic you hit your stride and i think for many players um you, you you're in that situation and you're you're thinking okay everything i'm doing right now is really good if i just need to keep doing this but then obviously you know you join into a different team um and so maybe you have a situation where you have to learn the chemistry between the players and some of the ways you make decisions might be different to adjust for the team was was there a, an adjustment period for you or did you just slot in like super easy for cloud nine you mean right when i joined cloud yeah. Nine? yeah yeah when i joined cloud nine i actually lost my intrigue role and i went to more like a support role like i was on the edge i was an edge player i was on the edges of the map like i was pylos on inferno uh, or sorry palace on mirage i was door on cash these spots that like i didn't normally play but i think i did pretty good because we had stewie and Tarek, and we don't need a third entry fragger like i would entry if i needed to when we're executing but in general it was stewie and Tarek doing it so i just did my my uh support role basically with tyler me and tyler were support and i liked it a lot because i felt like Tarek and stewie were doing a great job at their roles and tim was doing you know the all on role and i think that it worked out for the best but Honestly, my true calling is entering. And to go back to what you said about adapting, like I feel like I thought I was good at adapting, but I didn't realize how hard it was until I joined with um, or Mike or Golden joined the team. He uh, has a very specific way of calling. And without going into too many details, it's basically like you have to know when to react after teammates without them saying it. Like you have to have really good initiative and you have to be able to trade it at a moment's notice. And these things that aren't normal for me, um, I had to learn. I think I'm gotten, I've gotten a lot better at it. But I mean, if you look at Martin or Stiko's tweet longer, he even mentioned that like it's like going back to school, and uh, he felt like he wouldn't, who wasn't learning at a fast enough rate, and that's probably why he didn't make the cut. It's because he w literally wasn't adapting fast enough to the way Golden wants to call. So yeah, to go back to what you said, it's like I've had to adapt twice now to two different like styles, and I think that both times, maybe at the start I wasn't used to it, but over time uh, I got better. Yeah, and uh, and I imagine you know when you were going into uh, into the major, was was it already the case that the team was thinking about splitting ways? I mean, we uh, you talking about just to be sure the the Boston major, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our uh, event history, we made top four, top two, or one of like pretty much every event we played together, besides maybe like one or like Malmo, we didn't miss a top four the entire time, which is pretty insane. We were top five in the world, I think. And I never, we never thought about changing the roster. Actually, we we didn't talk about it once. Like, um, so the fact that we got second place after that at Summit after the major, 
And then that was a blow because we, we should have won that, which is fine. But second place, you can't be too upset with it, right? And also after that, I think it was Katowice where we got quarterfinals. It was a good event for us. We almost beat FaZe in the quarters to make semis. And then after that is when WSG happened. So it was like a one-off fucking tournament, money grab, you know. And we bombed out really hard playing versus Team 1. And that's when it kind of all fell apart, which surprised me because it's just one tournament. Literally one tournament that we played bad. And then it just all fell apart from that point. And it's unfortunate, but so we feel like maybe we weren't improving since the majors. So that's why he left. Yeah, it was really interesting because I think for so many people it was a kind of a shock, a shock move um, to sort of reach that height and then, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so and as we said for you, it's just like it's exactly the same story as as with Optic. So I mean, it must have must have felt pretty, like it must have been a pretty hard period for you to have to deal with that sort of again. Yeah, I mean, both Stewie and like, here's the thing: like they asked they asked him to join, I think, pretty sure. And this is when Stewie was still on the team. I think he he told us and then declined, right? And then Stewie got asked, I guess, but he didn't. I don't think he told us, or maybe he told like a few of us, but I wasn't aware of it until like I was living with him, just me and him. Tarek was home for uh, just visiting family, and then I found out through like a third party that he left to join them. I was like, okay. So like, um, I think um, there's no really easy way to deal with leaving a team, though. I mean, obviously the best option is to tell them instantly. They got an offer and you're considering it but in general like it's kind of like ripping off a band-aid you just gotta do it it's like you, anyone living a team it's gonna be the same situation you know just there's very small changes you can do to make it a little better but no matter what you do it's gonna affect the team the same way pretty much so like i said i don't i don't fault stewie or Tarek or stan or any of them for leaving i'm still friends with all three of them like good friends but it's just like when you lead the team in the situation you just gotta it's like i keep getting fucked so i gotta do my best you know <laughs> Absolutely. Out of point I'm at. Uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? I think I think you've got a good, good mindset with that. And um, it, it, you know, eventually, after you know having this this roster turmoil, um, I think you know move that a lot of people were surprised about was was Golden coming in. And and uh, I remember thinking that you know the the work that Golden had did uh, that he did with Fnatic, um, it seemed like he did help Fnatic regain their sort of previous identity of this kind of very dynamic mid rounds. Uh, sort of scrappy mid round team, and uh, you know where there's like really good uh, calls in, in that mid round as well to to you know scrap out rounds, and he brought enough structure with that to make them have some consistency. And obviously, like they win an event, and then you know he ends up leaving, and they have that whole awkward situation. So and then he comes to to, to Cloud Nine, and so at that point, after you know with Fnatic just being very new at in game leading, you know he's a little bit more seasoned uh, when he first joined you guys. So how was the process um, sort of dealing with Golden? Was it uh, very surprising? Was it an easy fit? I think um, it wasn't necessarily an easy fit at the start because we all had to adapt. Well, first we when we first got him, we had uh, events to play, so he adapted to our we. But after that event, we started. It, it was easy at first, but then he changed the style to his style, and that's when we had a everyone had to adapt. Some people took longer than others to adapt, but I think that everyone so far on the team, I guess that's me and Tim right now, are all that's left from that um, when we first got him. We've adapted to how he wants to call. Like I said, it's very like this very blunt person. If you did something wrong, he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you to do it right the next time. It's not in a, it's not in like a aggressive or toxic way. So it's really good that he calls out every mistake, and everyone has to improve at that point. Um, he's very good at mid gaming, like you said. Um, you have to react at your teammates at at any moment. Like you have to be there. Like if someone 
you see someone rush through a smoke, you got to rush through it with them, like right away. You can't, whether he's hit it or not, you have to be there with him, stuff like that. And I think that, uh, like I said, everyone's gotten used to it so far. It's, it's honestly, it's uh, it's been quite fun to watch. And obviously, also, you know, at that point, you had uh, sort of, as you mentioned previously, you know, Stiko was, was standing in uh, for a while. And, and obviously, it, it wasn't, he's a great player, but it wasn't exactly the, a great fit stylistically. And, um, and so then, you know, that was a bit awkward. So again, it feels like you guys just, you know, waiting and waiting for, to have that lineup. And that's, that had to be very frustrating. And, you know, then you get Flusher in as well. And, and uh, that was, to me, I was thinking, oh, this is, I feel like there's a lot of potential here. Were you excited when, uh, you know, Flusher first jumped in? Yeah, when I found out he was a potential uh, person to get, I was like, I was so happy. Because like, I thought, I thought to myself, finally, we got a guy who was like super, like, veteran player who knows how to play perfect cs and he's gonna be he's gonna fit great and so far he has basically all my expectations have been met with him and i'm really happy that we got him but it comes down to like losing another player obviously scooter left so like we had to kind of recuperate again to fit the void we got and um this isn't really a question but like obviously tim started opping right right when tyler said that he's gonna leave and we played like we still play like all our online matches with Tyler, but Tim was offing now because there's no point to if we're gonna change it like later we gotta do it now. So we did it at the moment we knew Tim changed offing, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, he's doing a pretty good job from, <laughs> from what I've seen. Actually, yeah. he's got a really, he's uh, he's got a pretty sick ceiling with that. Um, so it's, it looks like he's fitting in well. Um, obviously, um, you know, you guys use Kiyoshima as a stat, and you touched upon it briefly. And Kiyoshima seems, you know, he's a, he's also like one of those super veteran players, and he's very smart, very clutch, and very adaptable. So it it seemed like he, you know, he was always going to do pretty well in the lineup. You, I guess, did you guys want to keep him? Um, not going into too many details about it. Um, we are very satisfied with how he played. We're still like exploring our options overall for who to play with. Like whoever we get, whether it be Kyo or some other player, it's gonna be until after the, the next major. So it's like we have to make sure we're positive who we're gonna get. Kyo is definitely up there, probably the front runner, but we're still not 100% on who we're gonna get. He um he seems motivated, and he also like I said, he fit in like so perfectly for the little time we had. We had like. Five or six scrims with them before we had a boot, camp, boot camp for two days or something. We came early to Copenhagen, and obviously in the matches he played really well, so he exceeded all expectations. Like we didn't really expect that much out of him because we picked him or we picked him to go with us last minute. Like um, we had some options to go with, and those fell through. And we're like, oh, let's just ask Keo. Then we asked him, and then like that was like two days, before, maybe two or three days before the event. So it's like pretty insane how he did, how well he did under the circumstances, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's. Um, it's actually really interesting how how long he's been bouncing around as well, looking for a team, and the fact that he doesn't really want to seem to want to play the French scene, which I I could, I could see. You know, there's a lot of drama there, so and uh, <laughs> you know, these international lineups seem to be working really well at the moment. Um, is was that you know, and, and it, I guess it was it weird for uh, for you in any sense, you know, switching to an international lineup. I mean, the Swedes have such good English, so I guess you know, presumably it's not been an issue in any sense. Yeah, I mean, the Swedish guys have perfect English, and even Q has really good English. Like, um, he lives in the UK and has a UK girlfriend, so he, he's gotten, like, a lot better from even when he first started. So his English is, like, flawless. So, like, it's basically like an English lineup, you know? Like, everyone speaks uh, good English. There's no language barrier. I don't feel the language barrier at all. So, yeah, it's pretty good. I think that with Martin, Stiko, like, 
to touch on him, it's like when he when I play with him, sometimes obviously even you can probably tell in this podcast I can talk really fast sometimes, and he wouldn't understand me all the time when I say something, and also I mumble sometimes, and that that was kind of a problem with me is that he didn't really understand me all the time, but with um, Keo, like I would call something really fast, like I'm all in window, like it sounds to you it sounds fine, but to like Martin it might sound hard, but uh, Kiyoshima understood me every time when I said it, like he never once like said what like. Every time I said something, he he was on it. So it's, that was something that really impressed me a bit. Yeah, we we mumble a lot in the UK, so he's <laughs> definitely used to it. Um, it's so. Um, what what do you think is is the biggest sort of like performance hump or like you know the slump I should say that you've had? Do you think? For individually or as a team or? Uh, like individually, where you just like you sit down and 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 play some CS and just like really feel like you're a bit stuck. Probably would be on optic when we lost stan like we played with um i don't remember jason r first maybe and then after that it was uh hazed and that in that time frame man like i know like my skill but like when you don't have like a who's who is even calling like that i don't even remember Besides the point is that like I I couldn't like find my groove at all because like I just felt so uncomfortable overall with, with everything every tournament we played pretty much besides when we uh, had stand was just bad for me like and the only time I started playing better was when Terra called for an event um I think it was Cologne and that's when he started calling because obviously you know he called in Cloud Nine when we had him it's a very loose style very on the fly and from what I've everything I've said it would make sense that I was playing um good because i always said that i need structure but i think that it put me into more of a role of record entry and when i just go out there and kill people i feel like i'm at my best so that was more of what Tarek's style was i i definitely want to touch more on on that sort of like when i just go out there and kill people i feel good you know like from the perspective of just entry fragging that role that you say you know is is that's your nature um in the game like where you can perform your best do you like do you have um, any other players that you think are kind of inspiring from from that role? Uh, I never really had a player that I would, like watch. I'm like, man, this guy's sick. But like, players who I can say that I respect a lot would be Tarek. Um, obviously, he's been ex teammate for a long time, like two years. But like, the thing with him is like, he's very selfless. Like, he would, he's kind of like, I feel like like me. Like, he would go in no matter what. Like, he would, he would, even if he knows he's gonna die, he'll do it for the better of the team. There's not a lot of play, like there's not a lot of players that actually do that. I feel um, another player is like Dupree. Dupree's kind of like pretty pretty good entry figure to watch. Uh, I think Rain. Like these players are like players that I didn't necessarily look up to like when I was coming up, but they're players who I've played against and I, I respect like how they how they play. Like they're very fearless and they'll do it whenever they have to. You know, and like I said, not every player will do that. So, what do you what do you think makes a you know a super top tier entry fragger oh i mean like i said fearlessness but at the same time just knowing like in a moment that you you might it's like a 99 percent chance you're gonna die but there's also a 90 percent chance that when you die it's gonna get traded knowing that and just sacrificing your life for that is what makes a entry fragger good there's a lot of people who will second guess themselves like i'll see young players all the time saying oh i'm not gonna go i'm just gonna die it's like yeah but i'm gonna trade it you know you gotta you gotta realize that even if you die, it's for the it's for the better of the round, you know. So like, I think it takes some players time to realize that. But 
what makes a truly great entry figure is having that coupled with the really good entry skill itself like having the ability to clear the angles perfectly and also kill them like say going into like a, a mirage like hard clearing their belt like knowing that you might get shot in the back from jungle but just clearing it anyways because if, he, if he's there he's gonna, you're gonna kill him and if you get shot in the back your teammate's gonna kill him like just properly clearing things is also something that's very underrated some people like who don't entry who try to entry they have slow sense like they can't do it like that's one thing i didn't really mention either like there's players who really can't do it because they can't move their mouse fast enough to clear angles like um example is on my team like automatic like tim he's like he could be a good entry, but his sense is really low. That like, and he, there's no way like if he goes out and someone shoots from the back, he can flick them. He'd have to like break his arm doing that because he has such a low sense. So <laughs> it really depends on the player. Do you have a mental checklist? Then you know, is that because I'm just sort of thinking, you know, for anyone listening and if they're thinking about this role, like you know, what is a a good way to start thinking about it? Um, if, if they if they are wanting to get better at it and and because i always thought about it as, as sort of you have like this mental checklist of of a series of tasks that you, you want to achieve just to like create clarity because you're operating within chaos right as well it's like all kinds of shit going on when you're when you're running into a bomb site or whatever i don't have a checklist but i think like the subconscious things i think about that make me like more confident is like obviously when i'm playing against a certain team i try to remember what where the player on, on certain side I'm entering plays very often. Like I'll know like um, certain players in Mirage will play default a lot, or certain players on Mirage will play under Balk a lot. Some people don't play under Balk at all. Like it really depends on the team you're playing against. That's one thing that I think is any entry figure should do their homework on is knowing where the, the common spots are when you're on a one v one situation entering a site. Also, like one thing that gives anyone confidence and mean what mainly make, makes me appreciate the role the most is that like you know if you get the kill you pretty much secured the site if you get two kills you pretty much secured the round you know it's like it's very like exhilarating to get that they're gonna adrenaline the rush when you kill two players without taking a point of damage like and you win the round for them because everyone starts saving that's like an insane feeling and i think once people feel it, they'll realize you know entering is a lot of fun even if you die a lot yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with you. I, I mean, I'm from Quake, so so that's that's basically my default as well. So I, I definitely enjoy it a lot. And uh, do you have any any ways that you like? Do you ever practice that skill set specifically? Like, is there is there a way that you 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 know you, you try to hone that, or do you just play Counter Strike? I mean, there's no particular way I hone it. Like, I I became an intrigger based on the way I play. It's just like a really fast paced style. I slowed down a lot, obviously, over time because I had to play new roles. So I, I think I have the best both worlds now but i think if anything to practice it i'll play like a an execute server and an execute server there's obviously a side when you're on terrorist and you're running into a site and you're entering and i'll just go like literally just rush in like i'll jump out halls like full speed or if i'm playing an fpl as well like i'll try to like not bait my teammates even if i know if i bait my teammates i'll probably win the round when like the post plant stuff like that it doesn't matter because i'm not practicing to win we're not, i'm not playing to win the fpo i'm playing the fpo to get better or like stay like honed so if i'm in an fpo i'll just try to enter you whatever i can because that's like the best uh, practice right there okay what about you know handling pressure and so on and so forth that's that's one of the biggest make or breaks for you know, any professional player you know you can do anything in your bedroom but you're on that stage you know it's, it's the the big match the the career defining moment um it, it, do you do you deal with that easily or is it because uh, for some people it is it is actually easy but or do you have you had struggles with it i mean 
at start, I was pretty nervous. Like, I think anyone's nervous to first land or first in front of a crowd. Actually, I was never really nervous from a crowd because I was already playing a bunch of lands. But, like, my first, I was definitely nervous. And I think that for any new player, realize that you're probably going to be a little nervous. But once you break through that wall, like, once you have a really good round, you're going to realize it's like it's just like any other setting, really. And so when you're in front of 10,000 people, whatever it is, and you're already a computer, it's the same exact thing. As long as you get your like your uh, adjustments right, like your chair height, make sure your mouse pad's in the right spot, everything's the same. Your your config, then it's literally the same thing. Honestly, um, there's no difference. And I also get nervous sometimes, like not nervous, more more so adrenaline. Like if I'm in a clutch and I win it, the adrenaline's pumping really hard. But I won't say as nerves. It's more just like I'm really into it and I'm like mentally focused to the point where like, um, yeah, like the, the adrenaline's just pumping. So how, how do you do your prep before a game? You got a you know massive game on stage. Um, I, I spoke to Valde about this actually on on um, uh, one of the previous podcast episodes, and he was talking about um, how he doesn't like to sit in deathmatch, and he likes to actually maybe watch the game that's that's going on before his game. He likes to visualize, sit there and visualize a lot of the rounds, like the, the plays that he might make and so on, and just spend time sort of you know in his in his own mind as opposed to sitting on a deathmatch server or something. Is is you know how how do you do it? Something I used to always do that I can't really do anymore, but it's not terrible, is I used to retake a lot. Not like the whole time, but at least like 30 minutes of retake. I feel like that really sets that's the tone for like being like, it makes it a lot because there's a lot of situations where you have to retake or you're in a post-plant situation. I think it helps a lot. also think it's important to not eat like a huge meal before you eat or you play because you're going to be like almost like in a coma, like a food coma. So having like fruits, like a, even just like one banana or one apple, like is this enough to get you that, that, that sugar energy you need, you know? And uh, I typically try to avoid energy drinks because, like, I think that at home, I don't normally drink energy drinks. So, like, if I have, like, a Red Bull or a Monster before a game, I'm going to feel different than what I would normally at home. And I still do sometimes, and I don't know why. Maybe because I'm jet-lagged and I want to feel, like, more energy. But I think it's bad to, like, have different... Um, Feel, be, feel different in the land scenario. Um, also, like I said, I like to, uh, to eat like small foods, but at the same time, if I have time, I will try to go to the gym before I play for a multitude of reasons. Um, I, I feel like mentally better if I go to the gym. Like if I go to the gym at like 9 a.m. and I have a game at 3 p.m., I'm going to feel good for that for that game, I think. But I obviously, I can't go too hard to like drain myself. But if I, it's also like, it's more of a selfish reason but I like to go before, this doesn't affect the game at all, but I like to go before because typically I don't have a lot of energy or time to go after my games, so it's better to go before. Like it's, it's the best of both worlds, really, just to get it over with. That makes a lot of sense. I could, uh, I could definitely relate to that. Like it, it just makes the day better, actually, doesn't it? You just, you just get a little endorphin rush, and you feel more energized. And the day you're, you're tired, too. Like you, you beat your opponents. You also went to the gym. You feel like super like satisfied at the end of the day. But if you beat, if you win your versus your team, and then like, oh, not gonna go to the gym, like your mindset's like not the the best because you know your day's not over. But when you do both and your day's over, you feel pretty good. It's like any like pre like casting, like you know that when you're done casting that that one match, like you're done. You don't have to do anything. You can just relax. But if you gotta go to the gym still, you gotta get into a different state of mind to get ready for the gym. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not not necessarily gonna be happening after a cast. Um, so. That that's that's actually you know branches us nicely into into the topic of of gym life because sometimes you know we have a chat about about training for maybe like thirty seconds <laughs> when we're like passing yeah. each other. Um, the elevator. Yeah. yeah it's, um, so so you know, what are your like? How did you get into it? You know, what's what's uh, like, what's it all about for you? 
Well, I went to, I've been going to the gym since I was like 18, but like I was so like not into it, like from 18 to like, I'd say 20, I was go, I'd go for a couple months, stop. I'd go for a couple months, stop for seven months, go for two months, stop for, you know, six months. Like it was never consistent and it was always more off time than on time. And during that on time, I was never fully into it, like mentally. And I'm not sure why, because um, my brother is actually, he's probably one of the reasons I do it a lot. He's a really big time lifter. He's a power lifter. Like he squats like 600 pounds. He deadlifts like 750. He benches almost 400, I think. He's really up there in numbers. And he's only like body weight, like 190. So it's super like super strong for his weight. And I think that's kind of like an inspiration in itself. But yeah, I know it's crazy. But what really started me, like I've been lifting like really hard and consistently for only a year now, which is kind of crazy to me because I feel like I've been doing it for longer. I mean, I have, but not like consistently. But when I did it for the first month, it's kind of like, Tarek was going um, when he lived together. I'm like, all right, I'll come along. And I went for a month, and I went like going like for four days, five days a week, which is a lot for me. Normally, I went like three days a week back in the day. And I noticed after about a month, I noticed like actual like a lot of like strength gains and um just like physical uh, appearance gains. Like I I looked, I saw actual like improvement. And then also, like, I was doing a lot of research online, like, learning the best ways to do things, like, the best techniques, because if you don't do the right technique, you're not going like, to work the muscle properly, like, the mind-muscle connection, and also nutrition, like, how to split your body parts, like, all these things that I had never looked up before. I started looking up, like, almost, like, five hours a day I was doing it, maybe even more. Like, I was, after my practices, I was just watching YouTube videos and, like, articles all day, and I still know so little. But I, I, I like still do it to this day, maybe not as much, but once you learn that and you apply it to your everyday workouts, it like it really gives you like a like a good feeling to know that it worked for you and you see improvements in your list because of it, things like that. Um but yeah, something really clicked in my brain. Um I think that happens for everyone at a certain point, maybe not everyone, but most people that go to the gym, there's a point in your life I think where like you might have been half assing it before something in your brain clicks and it's just like why the fuck would i not do this before you know and that's kind of where it hit me about a year ago <laughs> nice yeah that's i actually do think as well it is i think it's super beneficial to, as you said before like balancing out some of the gaming because we do spend a lot of time sitting down and uh you end, you end up helping to train a lot of those sort of stabilizing muscles and, and one of the biggest causes of back pain actually in the 30s although you're not quite there yet but uh but i am <laughs> it's oh, yeah. um it's actually uh, weaker obliques and so oh, you do? In some of my workouts, I noticed it. I, I was always like wondering, why the fuck do I have this? And then I realized it's probably because I've been sitting in like poor posture for so many years that when I lift these weights, it's like coming into play. So that's one thing I try to work on. This is my lower back. Kind of nuts when you go down that rabbit hole of of just all the ways you can train and all the ways you kind of need oh, yeah. to. If you if if you feel like you become aware, you, you know, you sort of remove that kind of. Um, that that ignorance of just sort of not knowing anything about your body and then you start to learn he's like oh shit it's actually like for me for example like you know i every time i injure myself i have like three months of extensive research where i'd figure out exactly what i did and exactly the ways to avoid it and for example my with my my shoulder you know it's just the case that oh you know i had this this injury and now i know um that i that i've like my i've had all the, the diagnostics so i know for the my specific anatomy all the specific ways i have to train all of the stabilizing muscles which i had no idea even existed when yep. i was lifting before like 
there's this four the four rotator cuff muscles and all the shit you have to do for that and all the mobility stuff as well and how that impacts everything it's just it's a rabbit hole man <laughs> it's like there's like so many different like branches that you could like literally be like i said you could be on the youtube or wherever like looking up things for hours and hours every like for for years because there's so much info out there not all of it is like that good granted but a lot of it can be good yeah that's the thing too isn't it that's like just being good at like thinking and, and understanding where the information is coming from and, yeah identifying and being the skeptical. misinformation is really hard yes yes that's such a big deal um it's if anything like just even if one day you just decide that you hate lifting that, like you will have gained so many research skills in that sense and like get a good bullshit detector going that's very true <laughs> right well i i don't think i have anything else really um uh, pressing to to ask you so um thank you so much for taking the time out of your day um out of your off time to come and chat with me it was a lot of fun yep it was good to talk about it some of these things i don't normally talk about like obviously like the inner team things that happen back in optic it's kind of cool to touch on those for sure yeah i, I would uh i'm sure i'm sure i'll find an excuse to to ask you back on uh in the future <laughs> yeah i look forward to it. maybe when i start lifting as much weight as my brother <laughs> holy shit on the line <laughs> All right, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah no worries.